Amen. Amen. Praise God. But I'm glad to be here. Amen. I'm glad to see that God is doing such wonderful things with our young people. Um, as Pastor Bonnie said, I came to know Jesus at a very early age. Uh, I, I really can't tell you when I got born again because I got born again as a child. And by the grace of God, he has kept me over these years. I'm no longer a child. But I'm still saved. Still love Jesus. And still seeking to do his will. When I was your age, I didn't know what God had in store for me. But God had a plan for my life. And that plan is still being fulfilled. I just want to encourage each of you with that God has a plan for each one of you. And that plan is special. He made you, you. He made only one of you. There's no one who can replace you. I pray that your time here in youth church and as you grow older and become more mature, many of you will go away to college and then start to pursue your careers. I pray that no matter where life leads you, your relationship with Jesus will always be first and strong. I pray that you will keep growing and maturing in your knowledge of him, that you will keep presenting yourselves, your mortal bodies, your bodies to him, to be an instrument for him to be glorified through. In my high school yearbook, I quoted uh, these words. There's only one life to live. It will soon be past. Only what is done for Christ will last. Remember that. Only what is done for Christ will last. A few weeks ago, Pastor Vani and I was talking, and Pastor Vani said he was, I asked him what he was going to do. He said he was beginning a new series, and he was entitling it, uh, What Do You Know About Love? Is that, is, is that what he said? And when he said that, I said, you know what? How much God loves us. Let me repeat, this series is important because it's absolutely critical that everybody knows how much God loves them, especially those of you who are young. It makes all the difference. You know, we're living at a time where we're hearing young people now are committing suicide. Young people committing suicide, which means they've lost all hope no will to live, young people. We're living in a time when young people are, are more and more suffering from depression, uh, loneliness, feelings of being abandoned. When a lot of young people are engaged in, in all kinds of uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, drugs, more and more. Now, these problems have always been here, but, but 
society is such right now that the pressure upon young people to, to participate in all of those things and to have to perform to feel that their value is stronger than ever before, at least that's my perception. And you as Christians, you who come here every Sunday, you worship Jesus, you're trying your best to, to be a good Christian, you're not immune. There's pressure upon you. You go to school with your friends, constant pressure, pressure, pressure to perform, to be accepted. And when you don't feel accepted, when you don't feel loved, a lot of bad things begin to happen emotionally. A lot of bad things begin to happen in terms of your behavior. Because when you feel bad about yourself, you're going to feel bad about others. You're going to feel bad about God. And all of that will lead to bad behavior that can be harmful to you and harmful to others. So it's very, very, very important that everyone knows that they're loved. I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if by the grace of God, I didn't realize at a very young age how much God loved me. You see, there are a lot of young people who don't know that. And even Christian young people don't know that often as they ought. And they see their relationship with God more about law than love. And, you know, they're trying to please God, but, you know, there are all of these laws. And to be a good Christian, I got to do this. To be a good Christian, I got to do this. To be a good Christian, I can't do that. But it's hard, and I find myself doing it, so I must not be a good Christian. Since I cannot be a good Christian, I guess I'm not going to be a Christian at all. And I'm just going to go with my friends and, and be like them. So it's so important that you know and you base your relationship with God not on law, and that you base your relationship on God, guess what? Not on your own ability to love God. Because here's the truth. All of us fall short in our ability to love God. If any of us could love God fully as we ought, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. Okay? The reason Jesus went to the cross is because I am not able to love God as I ought. And you're not able to love God as you ought. And sometimes my love for God fluctuates. And if my relationship is God with God is based upon how much I love him, what's going to happen? My relationship with him would be go up and down, up and down, depending upon how I'm feeling today. All right? So, guess what? God does not want your relationship with him to be based on how much you love him. You hear me? You don't have to try to love God because if you don't love God with all your might, you can't have a relationship with God. You don't have to be perfect in your ability to love God or God will get angry with you. 
None of that is true. What God wants is for your relationship and my relationship with him to be based upon how much he loves you. And that is what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to every Christian. In fact, wants to reveal to every person on earth is how much God loves him, how much God loves her. And when you can see it and you start to base your relationship with God on a revelation of how much God loves you, then a lot of good things start to happen in your soul. A lot of good things start to happen in your mind. Where you were afraid, you begin to experience peace. Where you felt unaccepted, you start to feel accepted. Are you hearing me? Where you were afraid of God, you're no longer afraid. You start running to God. Even when you do bad, you don't run from God, you run to him. A lot of good things begin to happen. And, and, and when you know that God loves you to the degree that he does, that allows you to function at your best. Remember I said the plan God has for each of us is special? Well, the more you are able to rest in the reality of God's love for you and how much God values you, the more you establish in that truth, the more you're empowered to live a life of success, the more you're empowered to, 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 to produce at your highest level, the more you're equipped to deal with challenges because there are challenges in this world. In this world, we all have tests. When you have a revelation of the love of God, there's just so many good things that start to happen in your spirit, in your emotions, and then outwardly in your behavior. And that's why one of the major things that devil is attacking in your life is your sense of how much God loves you. He wants you to doubt it. He wants you to look at your behavior and say, God doesn't love me. He wants you to compare yourself with somebody else and say, nah, I don't think I'm, I'm worthy of that kind of love. He wants you when you do something you shouldn't do, to feel so condemned and so guilty to see God pointing his finger at you, wanting to have nothing to do with you, that you say, you know what? I can't, I can't live this way. That's the devil trying to rob you of this wonderful, wonderful, life-changing truth that God loves you. I want to encourage you, young people, Build your relationship with God. Build your whole life on the foundation of God's love for you. Hmm? Don't allow the enemy to ever cause you to forget that or no longer pay attention to it because that is the foundation upon which you will grow spiritually. That's the foundation upon which you will be able to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. That's the foundation that will allow you to persevere during tests and trials. And the revelation of God's love for you is where you will get your strength to resist temptation to sin. Okay? So one of the devil's primary purpose is to cause you to doubt that. And guess what? He tried to do that with Jesus. Okay? Remember when Jesus 
<clears throat> excuse me, when Jesus came to get baptized by John the Baptist, and the Bible says the heavens opened, right? And what did God say? God said of Jesus, this is my beloved son. What was God doing? He was declaring his love for Jesus. And that was a revelation. Jesus knew his father loved him. And that was the reason why Jesus could be so obedient, why Jesus was willing to go even to the cross, because he was grounded in this revelation. God loves me. Are you hearing me? And God said it. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. In other words, you are the one I love. I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. That's what God said to Jesus. And guess what? That's what God says to every one of us. I love you. You're my beloved son. And then the Bible says Jesus went into the wilderness and the devil came to tempt him. What was the devil trying to do? He was trying to get Jesus to doubt God's love for him. And if he had gotten Jesus to doubt God's love for him, he would have succeeded in getting Jesus to sin. So he said to Jesus, if you are the son of God. Well, God just said, you are my beloved son. The devil says, if you are the son of God. What was he trying to do? Get Jesus to question God's love for him and to try to prove it. Hear me, you don't have to do anything to try to prove that God loves you. Just accept the fact that God has said it. God cannot lie. God said, Jesus, you're my beloved. And God says concerning all of you, he says, I love you. And we're going to look at a few scriptures to show where God says in his word how much he loves us. The devil will attack that truth in your life. And if he can get you to doubt God's love for you, he's able to get you to become depressed. He's able to discourage you. He's able to cause you to quit on being a Christian. Um, he's able to make you yield to, 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 to the devil's temptation. But he cannot get you to doubt God's love for you like Jesus. You will come out of the wilderness full of power. You will go through tough experiences, but you will come out stronger, more ready to be used by God to be a blessing. Come and put your hand on your chest and say, God loves me unconditionally. How much does God love you? Listen, we say it, but do we really, really, really believe it? Do we really, really, really believe it? But we need to because that is the truth that sets us free and empowers us to do all that God has called us to do. All right? Now, the scripture says, God is love. How many of you agree? God is what? Okay, say, God is love. One more time. God is love. Now, that scripture didn't say God has love. He is love, right? That means that is who God is. So if God is love, then the only way God can be himself is to love you. 
No, let me come here. Did you hear that? How many, how many of you agree God is love? Well, if God is love, if God is love, if God is love, if God is love, the only way God can be himself is to do what? Love you. For God not to love you, he will have to become somebody else. When, I, when, the, when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see that this week, it blessed my heart. Hmm? For God not to love me, God will have to become other than who he is. He has to become someone else. Hmm? A dog is a dog. For a dog to live in the ocean, it has to cease being a dog. It cannot be a dog and be in the ocean. God cannot stop loving you will I stop being God? Come on, say hallelujah. So that truth alone should grab your heart. And whenever the devil comes to you and say, you see, you did that, God doesn't love you. You did that, mm, God is angry with you. You did that, God doesn't want to have, say, wait a minute. For God not to love me and keep loving me, God would have to cease being God and become someone other than he is. So at all times, under every circumstance, no matter what you're feeling, you got to remind yourself, God is love. And the only way God can be God is for him to love me. Don't let the devil steal that truth from you. Are you hearing me? That's how much God loves you. It's, 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 it's unconditional. It means he doesn't love you more or less based upon your behavior. If Judas had known that, he would not have killed himself. I told you, depression, suicide, uh, backsliding. If Judas had known that God's love for him was unconditional, even after he had betrayed Jesus, he would not have killed himself. Instead of running from God, he would have run to God. And God would have been merciful on Judas. And if you know that, you would never, never, never give up in your relationship with God. You'll never give up in doing God's will. You'll never become overcome by guilt and condemnation, rejection, and fear. Those things will come, but you won't be overcome by them because you will remind yourself, oh, even though I've done this, the love of God for me is unconditional. He loves me just as much now as he did before. Nothing has changed in his love for me. Now, what is love? Love is not a feeling. Love is far more than that. Now we can feel good. 
when we are in love. But love itself is not a feeling. So when we say God loves you, we're saying God is fully, completely, totally committed unselfishly to your well-being. And nothing will ever change. Our sins do not cause God to love us less. Our failures don't cause, cause God to love us less. No. If they do anything, our failures and sins provide a stage for the love of God to manifest even more. You know, it's like it's like a light against a dark background. If, if the darker it is, the, the, the brighter the light appears, the more uh, the light can be seen. Okay? So when you and I sin, God's love doesn't, doesn't decline or God doesn't withdraw. No, no. If we sin, God, God's love is manifested even in a greater way. It's not that he loves us more when we sin, but we, we see his love on display even more because instead of rejecting us, he reaches out to us. Okay, let me share with you one or two scriptures. What does John 3.16 say? For God so do what? Love the world. Well, the world consists of what? All of these, all of us who have what? Sin, right? So God so loved the world of sinners. What did he do? He gave his what? Wait a minute. We're sinners. We're disobeying you. We're doing the things you don't want us to do. We're living our own lives. We're using bad words. We're using drugs. We're using cigarettes. We're, we're living promiscuous, uh, sexually promiscuous life. And God's response is to give his only begotten son for us? Wow. Not go to hell. Not I don't want to see your face. Not I'm going to pour wrath and judgment upon you. No, what I'm going to do for you is give my only begotten son so that you would be saved from the wrath that is to come. Pastor Vani shared that in communion. Wow. Go to Romans 5, 8. Through 10. Let's see that also. I want you to see how, how the love of God is, is, is unconditional. And you need to be established in that. Let's read this together. For God demonstrates. Okay, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you to read it. There's something about speaking that makes the things that are spiritual real. Okay, let me share that with you. If you want to really grow spiritually, if you want to be strong spiritually, if you want to be able to resist temptation, resist the devil, you have to learn how to say out of your own mouth what God says concerning you or concerning circumstances. It's like having a gun <clears throat> that is loaded. Until you press the trigger, that power is dormant. 
and an unarmed robber can take everything away from you if you have a gun, but you're unwilling to press the trigger. Okay? What we have in Christ is everything we need for life and godliness. But if we don't make it the practice of speaking, we will live defeated lives. The love of God for you will not change, but you will not tap into the power of that love unless you start speaking. Okay? So, let's read together. I want you guys to say the word. Speak the word. Let's speak the word together. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while oh, God demonstrates or proves if you ever doubt that God loves you, he says, remember this, God proved to you <clears throat> and proved to me on the cross his love for us. How? When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Next, next verse. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We shall be saved from what? The love of God will save you from wrath. God doesn't have wrath planned for you. He has salvation planned for you because he loves you. And so we can count on his love even when we have sinned to save and protect us from the wrath that is to come. Amen. Next verse. For if when we were enemies, we were what? Do you know what that word reconciled means? Ronnie, come. Okay. Uh, could you come? Any one of you, any one of you young men. Just come, just come, come, come. Okay, Pastor, okay. It's not, it's not hard. You're just going to do something for me, okay? Just stand between us. That's all. Just stand between us. Isaac, you're just helping us to preach the gospel, okay? I'm sure you want to do that, right? So, Ronnie is God. I am me, the sinner. And you represent the barrier, the law, and judgment and wrath that separated God from me because of my sins. As long as you are here, the law and judgment and wrath, God and I are separated. God has something legally that is keeping him from having the kind of relationship he wants to have with me. Because I'm under judgment legally. All right? God sent Jesus, and we know the gospel. Jesus goes to the cross. The reason Jesus goes to the cross is to take this thing out of the way. 
You can go back to your seat. You're out of the way. So the barrier called law and sin and judgment, Jesus took that out of the way. God wanted it done so that God and I, come on, can be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That, no, that is what, that, that is what God has done. That's why it means to be reconciled. There's literally nothing. You say, but bitch, I still sin. It's not between you and God. God has dealt with it. Remember, he, 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 he's at his seat. He was moved out of the way. God, through Jesus, has removed everything that was, could hinder your relationship with him so that you are always now in Christ reconciled to God, which means God will always treat you as a child, sometimes he's going to discipline you but never punish you because he loves you unconditionally. You need to believe that. What the devil wants you to believe is that when you do something, there's a gap created between you and God and God is there and you're here. If Judas had known that, Judas would not have been overcome by guilt and condemnation, become so discouraged and depressed that he killed himself. He would have known that Jesus died and that guilt and that condemnation was removed. Hey, and that if he had come to God in faith, God would have embraced him. Don't sin, but if he ever do, Remember, God still embraces you. Loves you unconditionally. Hallelujah. Let me, let me end with this example because it's so important. Go to 1 John 4. Uh, is it verse, the, the passage in 1 John. Is it 1 John 4, 16 to 20? Okay, let's read that together. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love. And God. Now, who, who, wrote, who wrote that? What, which apostle did that? John. Okay. How many apostles, disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Okay. Of all of Jesus' disciples, which one was the most famous? Peter, right? Do you think Peter loved Jesus? Peter loved Jesus. Uh, in fact, in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was talking about how he would be arrested and how his disciples will, 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 will leave him and, and flee from him, what did Peter say? Peter said, no, 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 Jesus. I respect you, but no, 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 no. I will never, I will never, everybody else may flee from you and deny you, but not me. You think Peter was sincere? He was. And then Jesus said, you know, Peter, tonight, you are going to literally deny me three times. That made Peter even more determined. No, the Bible says he said it even more strongly. Lord, even if I have to die, me, I will never deny you. 
Peter was sincere. But we know what happened. Huh? That very day, Peter denied Jesus how many times? Even though he really, really wanted to obey Jesus, he denied Jesus how many times? Who was the only disciple who did not deny Jesus, nor did he flee? Who? John. All the other disciples fled. Judas killed himself. Peter himself denied Jesus. The only disciple who did not deny Jesus and remained faithful to the end was John. Now, so you ask yourself, what's the difference? Peter loved Jesus. But Peter ended up betraying Jesus. All the other disciples fled from Jesus. Why was it that when Jesus was on the cross, John was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother? Remember when Jesus looked down, he saw John and his mother. John was there. Why did John... Why did Jesus entrust his mother to John and not to Peter, Peter who said he loved Jesus? You want to know the difference between the two? Here's the difference. Peter boasted and put his confidence in and built his relationship with Jesus on his love for Jesus. He was trusting his love for Jesus to be strong enough to keep him in the hour of test and temptation. And he discovered his love was not strong enough. And if you try to build your relationship with Jesus, young people, on your own ability to love him, you will find, as you probably have already found, that in the hour of testing, your love is not strong enough. Now, John was different. In, in, in John chapter 19, I believe it is, John is at the cross with Mary's mother, and John is writing. And look what John's, what John, John is the one writing this. What does he say? When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing by, wait a minute, who is John referring to? Who, who is the disciple that Jesus loved? Himself. So John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He didn't say the disciple who loved Jesus. Hmm? Because what is John doing? John is not building his relationship with Jesus on the strength of his love. Because he knows his own love is not enough. Unlike Peter, he's not boasting in his love for Jesus. He is boasting in Jesus' love for him. 
In John chapter 20, once again, John refers to himself in John chapter 20. I believe at this point, they are, they are at the, the, the grave. And John and Peter have run to the grave because Mary Magdalene told them about the resurrection. But look at how John refers to him. To, again, when Jesus, therefore, no, John 20, you haven't gone there yet. Anyway, in that, in that instance, John and Peter run to the grave of Lazarus. And what did um, John say? He said, again, he referred to Peter, and then he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. So you have three different instances where John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Wait a minute. Is it coincidental that John is the only one who remains faithful? That John doesn't deny Jesus? Is it coincidental that John was able to remain faithful even though he was facing the same kind of pressure that Peter and the others were facing? Hear me, young people. The reason John was able to survive the temptation, be faithful to the end, was because John trusted not in his love for God, but God's love for him. John builds his relationship on God's love for him. You want to grow spiritually? You want to be faithful? You want to be able to face all the pressures that you face as a young person in this world? Then don't try to love God. Ask the Holy Spirit to continually show you how much God loves you. And when you worship, it's good to say, I love you, Lord. But you know what will help you even more? Oh, Lord, you love me so much. Thank you for loving me like this. Thank you that your love for me is so, so unconditional. Thank you that even though I just messed up, your love for me hasn't changed. Thank you that your plans for me are so good. Thank you that nothing can separate me from your love. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. Paul said, all of these things were more than conquerors. Why? He says, nothing can separate us from God's love. Go back to 1 John 4, 16 through 20, and we'll end with this. Let's read together. And we have what? Known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Notice John is talking about himself. And what was John's secret? He knew and believed the love that God had for him. And if you, if you remember nothing that I say to you this morning, this is what I'm saying. No, believe 
the love that God has for you. And if that is going to happen, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to continually show you how much God loves you. I hear me? You need to read those scriptures that talk about God's love. You need to write them down, memorize them, pray them, meditate upon them every day. Because if you do so, a number of good things will happen. All right, notice what John says. If you know and believe the love that God has for you, you will abide in his love and you will abide in God. In other words, there will be such intimacy that will be the result of that revelation. Go to verse 17. Verse 17. Okay, let's first have say love has been perfected among us in this way. How is love perfected? Say in this way. What is this way? Knowing and believing God's love for you. That is how your own love for God will mature. That's how your love for God will grow. When you know and believe and you keep knowing and you keep believing the love that God has for you, your own love for God will start to mature and become perfected. Go to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The more you know and believe the love that God has for you, what's going to happen to fear? Fear will be cast out. Rejection, depression, having no hope, all of that is driven out by the revelation of how much God loves you. Do you see? It's so important. I'm married to a beautiful woman. Do you, do you know her name or her name? Yeah, I'm, I'm married to Pastor Chris. I love Pastor Chris. I really do. Uh, but let me tell you how I came to love her. I was in school in Oklahoma. Let me tell you the year because none of y'all were around. I think when I got to know her, when we met, it was 1981. 1981. I was in my senior year. I was in Tulsa. Pastor Chris was in Liberia. Guess what? We had never met physically. But I started praying for a wife. And I, 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 gave, I had three characteristics. I would say, Lord, thank you for this woman. Da, 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 da. I don't have to tell you what I was praying. <laughs> but she also was praying for her husband. And she was at, at the University of Liberia back then. And she had a practice. This was her discipline back then. At 11 o'clock, every evening, she would spend an hour in prayer before going to bed. And one day, while praying for a husband, and she and I had, never, had not met. I mean, she knew my name, but we had not met. And, and she says she wasn't even thinking about marriage, but she was praying 
and she would pray in tongues, and then she would pray in English. And and when she when she started to pray in English, she heard herself praying for her husband, and she called my name. <laughs> you see, all the people who are sleeping, they have woken up. <laughs> Everybody who was sleeping, all of a sudden there's, oh, because y'all want to know my business. But anyway, she was praying, look, God is real, the Holy Spirit is real. And I'm so glad I hear many of you are getting baptized with the Holy Spirit, praying tongues, listen, there's power in that. Okay? So she was a young, you know, college, college girl, but she, she, my name came up and she was shocked. Because she said she really wasn't thinking about me or thinking about marriage. Because back then, she really, really wanted to serve God. And all of the women who she knew were serving God as missionaries, they were not married. So she figured if she really wanted to serve God, she wouldn't get married. But anyway, God had her call my name. And she went and talked to someone who was more mature, expressing the concern. That person said, you know what, if this happens again, take it as direction from the Lord and start praying. And she prayed for two years without hearing a word from me. Uh, I didn't know her. She knew my name, but I didn't know her. But God was using that to bring us together. Anyway, I got to make a long story short because I'm out of time. But y'all want me to finish the story? (laughs) All right. So anyway, so... So she continued to pray, and then, like I said, in 1981, I started to, I was about to graduate from college, so I started to really pray about marriage. And without my sister knowing, I hadn't talked to her, my sister writes me a letter, which she had never done, and in that letter, she mentions the name of Chris. You see how God, God is now answering Chris's prayer and my prayer by putting it on my sister's heart to write me a letter without talking to Chris or me, and just brings up Chris. For some reason, God had my sister see Chris and then put the thought into his, her head, she would make a good wife for your brother. You see how God can answer prayer? Anyway, so, so my, my, my sister sends me this letter. It has Chris's name in it. I say, you know what? Since I'm beginning to pray, let me write this young lady and just get to know her. So I write her a letter. Back then, we didn't have, you know, all that stuff. It didn't exist. You know, we wrote, we had a little, hey man, the story getting too long. When did we? <laughs> so we had what we call air letter. It was a little blue, blue stuff. You know what I'm talking about, Kalia, all of us, old timers? Anyway, we were corresponding. Then we had cassettes. Y'all didn't even know about cassettes. You know, like I said, <laughs> and once a month, you know, she would record something in the cassette, bail it to me. I record something in the cassette, bail it to him. And once in a while, we got to use the telephone, but telephones weren't like this. So she had to go to her office. We had to make an appointment. But <laughs> well, here's the point I'm making. I will tell you a full story one day. But the point I'm making is I love her, but you know what it took for me to love her the way I do today? First of all, there had to be, I, got to get, I had to get to know her. I couldn't love her until I knew her name. I couldn't love her until I knew she existed. I couldn't love her until we started to communicate, right? And as we started to communicate, the words she wrote to me did something to me. 
And then I wrote her back. And then the words she communicated, look at her, she look at did, did something to me. But without those words, I never would have gotten to the place where I love Chris. Those words were important. Are you hearing me? The Bible is God's love letter. And in his love letter, he tells you that he loves you unconditionally. And he tells you how he even died for you. He tells you how he has forgiven you of every sin. He tells you that. If you never listen to it, you don't read it, you don't pay attention, your love for God will never grow. So come on, take the love letter and start to hear what he says to you. And then you know what? Go ahead and say some things back to him. And then he'll say some more to you. And as you come to know through your communication what he feels about you, guess what's going to happen? Your own love for him will start to grow. Now, I asked Chris to marry me on the phone before I had ever physically seen her. So you don't have to date for all of those years. You follow me? It was enough because just communicating. We don't see God, but you don't have to see God to, to, to say this is the one I want. This is the person I want to be with. Yeah, man, you just need to keep hearing him and keep hearing him and keep hearing him. And the more you hear him whisper those sweet nothings in your ear, <laughs> the deeper your love will be for him. Amen? And of course, Chris Wiley came over and I saw her for the first time at the airport. We hugged each other. And then, of course, we got married. And now I see her love for me. Not just with the words. But I mean, what she does, the way she loves me and the way she serves, I see that. And now that I'm experiencing her own love for me, my love for her has grown even more. So my love is growing for her through our communication and as I see how much she loves me. Get to know God and his love for you and your love for him will grow effortlessly in Jesus' name. So all of you who want to know the full story, you hear me? All of you who want to know the full story, make an appointment with Pastor Chris and me, and come and we'll tell you the full story. Let me pray for you. Stand to your feet. Okay, did you hear what I said? Was it clear? Amen. Really, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down, but I just want to repeat. This is so important that I pray that every one of you will take it and do something with it. What you need in order to grow spiritually is to know and believe the love that God has for you. What the devil knows is that if you know that, he can never again be your master. So he will do everything he can to cause you to doubt that. You must do everything you can to ground yourself in that love. And you must keep reminding yourself daily how much God loves you. In Jesus' name, how many of you would do that? 
Yeah, raise two hands to heaven. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these young men and women who love you, but even more so, I thank you for loving them so unconditionally. I know the enemy is going to keep attacking their minds and causing, trying to cause them to doubt your love for them. I pray that that will never happen. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will reveal to each of them the depth, the height, the breadth of your love. May they be rooted and established in the revelation that your love for them is unconditional. And in every test, in every trial that they face, whenever they're under pressure, whenever they're being uh, in situations that cause them to doubt who they are and how much you value them, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit will remind them of how much you love them. Thank you, Jesus. With your hands raised, I want you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I thank you for loving me unconditionally. I thank you for dying for me, for living in me, for living for me, for living through me. I thank you that nothing, nothing will ever cause you to stop loving me. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are looking for unconditional love, you're looking for something you already have. Did you hear me? If you're trying to become somebody worthy of someone dying for, you're trying to be somebody you already are. Keep reminding yourself of that. In Jesus' name.